Well, good morning. My name is uh, Rich Doring. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Real Life, and I am thrilled to see you here, thrilled to have you join us, joining us online as well this morning. And uh, would you give the worship team another hand? They did a great job. They do a great job. Before we uh, jump in here uh, today, I do want to just uh, cover a couple really quick announcements. Uh, the first is, um, I think maybe I and others maybe underestimate some of the, the things that people have gone through in 2019, 20, and now 21 in regards to COVID and some of the loss that we've experienced. I know some people have lost people to COVID. Uh, I know that there are other people who have lost people in this time frame too, and it's been hard to, to say goodbye or to have a funeral service in the midst of COVID and different things like that. I just think sometimes we underestimate the power of grief and how little we understand about how to navigate those things at times. And what I want to share with you just really quickly is an opportunity that's coming up here in a couple weeks on November 6th, Saturday. We're going to have a small conference seminar type thing here at the church called Grief Share. Uh, Chandra Ostrander is actually going to be leading that. She's our director of operations. What I want to encourage you to do, even as you leave here today on the back tables, in the, in the foyer at the Start Here desk, there's a little brochure that shows you how to register for this. And uh, it's just a great opportunity for you to come together, learn and understand what grief looks like and what the grieving process entails, and then just get some tools for that journey, tools for the opportunity to go through that. Um, you can see that little piece of paper as you leave here today, but I signed up for this. In fact, I was the first one to sign up, and I think Chandra just thought I was testing it to see if our sign-up system worked, because she said, do you know you signed up for that? Because I end up doing, like I texted like I was a first-time guest the other day, and people were like, seriously, you work here. So, um, but I, I signed up, because I know how powerful the grieving process is, and how sometimes you feel like you're doing all right. Then sometimes when the holidays come, and you realize you're not going to drive that road that you used to drive all the time, you're not going to see those faces you once saw every single time, your, your family's not going to see those faces, all of a sudden things start begin to creep up, and you've got to deal with those and navigate those. So I really want to encourage you to, uh, to take advantage of that. You can just Google. Um, you can Google Grief Share and add the location, and it'll show you our church. So you can sign up that way as well, too. Uh, really quick, too, I want to encourage you to download the app. So this, this week at some point on Facebook, I know not everybody's on Facebook, more power to you, just so you know, but, uh, but on Facebook, we are going to put a little video where we're going to instruct you how to download the app. It's kind of, you got to find it in a certain place and stuff, but on the app, you've got access to all kinds of different things, giving online, um, you know, signing a connect card, all that kind of different stuff. But uh, I want to encourage you to download that because right there on that app is the link for GriefShare where you can uh, register for that and get tools for yourself and all kinds of resources. So I want to encourage you to do that and be watching for that video uh, this week. And then one last announcement. Next Sunday is Halloween. And uh, we're taking advantage of that in this church with something called Candy Palooza. I did not name it. I'm not that cool. Uh, but it's called Candy Palooza. This is for all kinds of kids. We're going to have a blast. Uh, uh, Courtney Brown and her kids' ministry staff are going to be in another part of the building loading these children up with candy. You're welcome. Uh, I've been informed that even if I do come up dressed as something, I do not get any candy. 
Uh, so these kids are going to come. We told them church-appropriate stuff, but they're going to come. They're going to learn about what the true fear of the Lord is and, uh, and some really great Bible instructions. So we're excited about that. I even told them, I was like, man, because Zach, does everybody know Zach? Zach's a good-looking guy here, nice pants, glasses, standing here. I'm thinking, I'm going to come dressed up like Zach next week, <laughs> which would be awfully cringy. But uh, even then, they were like, yeah, you still don't get any candy. So uh, we're going to be having a, a good time next week. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you right now. Acts chapter 17. The words will be on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to read this passage for you. And then uh, we're going to kind of put it to rest. Then we're going to pick it back up a little bit later. But uh, this is Paul. He's in the city of Athens, Greece. And he has this encounter in this situation that pops up. And what I want to do is I just want to read this for you. It's Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appropriate uh, appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. If you were to read on, you would find out that... uh, you know, Paul kind of broached a subject there about resurrection from the dead. And uh, some of those Athenians thought, okay, yeah, that's a little too far. So they kind of checked out. Uh, but there was a few. There were a few that said, you know what, Paul? We're intrigued. We want to hear more. And so they ended up becoming followers of Christ. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. We'll come back to that whole passage. But first, I want to share with you about a guy that I once knew. Uh, when I knew him... He would have told you, uh, unashamedly, that he was an agnostic. So an agnostic is somebody who is somewhat indifferent to God. They don't believe, they don't not believe, they just kind of, they just don't give it much thought. They don't, they don't put their, their chips in one basket. They just, they're just ambivalent to a certain extent. And this guy that I know would have told people, I'm an agnostic, mostly because it sounded educated. He sounded kind of, ooh, I'm very thoughtful. Sounds very thoughtful to say I'm an agnostic. Um, If I'm going to be honest, 
and I, I don't think that he would mind me standing up here and saying this, um, he was kind of an arrogant guy. In fact, he was, he was really full of himself. At one point, I was in, I'm in his bedroom, and on the wall, he had taken a black marker, black magic marker, and written the words uh, of a poet named William Henley on the wall. The words were, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And he was like, ooh, that's so cool. That's so cool. I'm going to take a marker and write it on my bedroom wall. And then he would bring people into the bedroom to show me, like, dude, isn't this awesome? Like, uh, I'm the captain of my own soul. And it just sounded so, so awesome, right? And uh, in, the, in the conversations that he would find himself in, sometimes when God would come up, what he would say is, uh, you know, I don't really care about God because ultimately I don't think God really cares about me, which is a very deflecting kind of a statement. Again, falls into that cool category. But here's the deal. He was deflecting in that moment because actually there was something going on in his life. By the time I started to really kind of get to know this guy and understand what made him work and what made him tick, there was actually some inner turmoil going on. He'd actually recently just lost, lost a loved one. He lost his grandmother. And again, he had this kind of tough, ego-driven exterior, but internally, he was kind of messed up. He was, he was really struggling. He used to lay awake at bed, in bed at night, he would talk about, and he really tried to figure out how to wrap his mind around the idea that at some point, you're here one second, but then you die, and then nothing. And he, he would talk about how he just had a hard time wrapping his brain around the idea that, that you literally just cease. There's got to be something more, something more. And even later, he would share about the fact that he started coming to a place where he had that sense overwhelmingly that there's got to be something more. Now, knowing this guy, that didn't bother him enough to actually engage in anything uh, seriously. In fact, he kind of continued to toe that I'm an agnostic, God doesn't care about me, I don't care about him kind of line uh, all through life. And, uh, but inside, God was already at work. And through the next few years, there would be kind of these little glimpses, these almost little deposits of grace, these little moments where he would hear something or this guy would read something or more specifically, he would hear somebody say something. He would hear somebody say something and all of a sudden, he would strangely feel like he was being pulled in a direction, okay? Pulled in a direction. And then one day, he fell for a girl. And uh, this girl was a whole lot different than the girls that he knew and the girls that he dated. And uh, this guy had all the right words. He knew how to say all the right things. He knew how to schmooze the parents to the point where the parents just loved this guy. And, uh, but this girl was different. She was different. And so was her family. Uh, and honestly, this guy found himself strangely pulled into their world. And it was a world where this entire family followed Jesus Christ. He's pulled into that world. And I think back on that guy. And uh, what it makes me think of is really what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is a theological term. It sounds really heady. But what we're talking about is, is the reality that this guy's experience reminds me of the grace of provenient grace, God's provenient grace. Now, provenient, like I said, is this theological word, but in the end, what it means is, is that God goes before us. 
He goes before us and he pursues us. He comes after us. So go back to the guy that I was just talking about. If I were to summarize, honestly, as I look at his life, I would say that God targeted him. God targeted that guy. This guy who was kind of feigning disdain for God or disinterest in God actually found himself sitting every week hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ unfold before him. So God had gone before. He found himself sitting at a dinner table with a family who ate together and they would laugh together and they would cry together and they would pray together. And he found his heart strangely warmed. And it was like links in a chain that just kept get adding on and adding on and was pulling him in, pulling him in, drawing him in closer. What he found was a people, and he heard a people who cared about each other and loved one another and supported one another like a family. It was something he never experienced before, and he saw this, and, and he found himself pulled in. He found himself craving that, hungry for that. And of course, he resisted it. He resisted it. He had this facade that he kind of had to keep up during all of that, and yet there were so many links in this chain of events in his life, this long chain of grace moments. What he did not realize, what he didn't realize is that God had targeted him and had used grace to pull him in more and more. Now, maybe you've experienced that. In fact, I know you have. I mean, you're, you're sitting here right now. You, do you think you're watching online by accident? No. This is God's prevenient grace at work. And the best way that I know how to describe it is call it sneaky. It's sneaky. It's subversive, this, this grace. When we aren't looking, grace kind of sneaks up on us. It draws us in. It woos us. It shows up on the scene and reveals itself to us. That's prevenient grace. It's a grace that draws us closer to him. So today's message is a little bit different. We're going to go kind of on a journey here aren't really many notes to fill out on your sheet, but it's an important aspect of our understanding of what this journey of grace looks like that we're on. Last week, we talked about how amazing this grace is. God's grace is amazing. Now we get this fun process of seeing just in our day-to-day lives how amazing it actually is. And it starts with this sneaky grace. The, you and I experience grace in different ways, in different seasons of our lives, all the time, okay? Last week, we talked about how amazing this grace is. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about we need a grace that saves us. We need salvation grace. We, we need a grace that would come to us and redeem us from our sin. So, so we need a saving grace, but then we also need a sustaining grace. Once I've walked across the line and put my faith in Jesus Christ, I need a grace that's going to help me in that walk. I need a grace that's going to keep me next to Christ, which leads to this sanctifying grace. If I wake up and it's left up to me every single day to decide my to decide how to follow God, I'm not going to do it very well. I've got to die to myself. I've got to experience this sanctifying grace that leads me down the path in life that God desires for me in the way that God desires for me. I'm really excited about that, Sunday. My friend Dr. Jeff Stark is going to be here uh, from Chicago. He's going to come and he's going to share with us that Sunday. It's going to be an amazing, amazing Sunday. After that, we're going to talk about how God's grace is sufficient. Listen, I don't have to tell you life is hard. I don't have to tell you our world is broken. And so you're going to run into situations. You're going to have circumstances in your life where you're thinking, oh man, I I cannot see the backside of this. I know this because I see the prayer requests that come in every week. I see the things that you share. 
You guys are facing a lot of different challenges. You need a grace that is sufficient and sustaining so that you know God is near in the midst of your deepest trials, the deepest challenges of your life. So we experience God's grace in different seasons and in different ways uh, of our life. But to understand this sneaky, kind of subversive, prevenient grace, there's something that you and I need to understand. And it's pretty fundamental. And it's this. God comes to us before we ever come to God. God comes to us before we ever come to God. God's grace seeks us out. God's grace comes to where we are. We don't move to God. God comes to us. He's been doing it your whole life. Before you were aware of God, before you ever heard a sermon, some of you back in the 70s were picked up on a bus and brought to this church. Before you ever went to a Sunday school class, before you were ever in a vacation Bible school, before you ever even thought or gave second thought to God and a desire to connect to him, he was already there reaching out to you. He was already seeking you by any means necessary to bring you home, to bring you home. He was, if, if you visualize, it's almost like he's paving the sidewalk He's paving the sidewalk, and he's pulling you down that sidewalk until hopefully at some point you make a decision to take a step, and next thing you know, you're on a porch, the porch of God's home, and you're facing a door. He is wooing you, drawing you towards him. The question then becomes, are we responding to the grace that's leading us home? Are we responding the passage that I read earlier from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, it's a famous speech by the Apostle Paul uh, to a group of Athenians. So I shared this for a reason. It's because, first of all, I love this passage. I love it. And, and to me, what you begin to see in this passage is just this amazing, prevenient grace of God. This, this grace of God that has gone, bef gone before to the point where literally all Paul has to do is show up and stand on the porch with these people. Because God has done something to pull them to this place. God has used this grace to go before and draw them to this place to now all Paul has to do is stand on the porch and point to the door. He just points to the door. So the Oropagus that's referenced in that passage, uh, it's a place in Athens where all of the intelligent people showed up to give their opinions about everything. Sounds like Facebook for Greece <laughs> back in the ancient time. So, um, so they all show up and, uh, and they would argue and they would debate and they would talk about the issues of the day and there would, all, there would always be these, these, these intellects who would kind of garner certain groups and that was the Oropagus. It was really the center of intellectual and cultural life in Athens. So Paul is in Athens, and he's kind of doing the tourist thing. He's walking around and waiting for some buddies and stuff, but he's, he's observing things. He goes to the Jewish quarter, and then maybe he goes over here. But what he sees in Athens, and particularly around the Areopagus, is he sees these monuments and statues and these, these edifices that had been constructed. And all of these were constructed as idols, essentially, in, in ways to pay homage to these Greek gods. All of these Greek gods had these idols essentially constructed 
for them as an act of worship of those different Greek gods. And so Paul, standing in the Oropagus, surrounded by the reality of all these things, and seeing little pockets of people having these intellectual discussions, I just love Paul. He decides, I'm going to do it too. So, so Paul, who is not Greek, he, everybody would have known he was Jewish, he stands there and he begins to say, hey, all you Greeks, let's talk. And so he starts this speech, essentially, and one of the very first things he does, because Paul is so smart, he, he essentially pays them a compliment. He says, I can really tell how religious and spiritual all of you are. I mean, that's, that's really amazing as I've walked around your city. You are very religious and spiritual. And I'm sure that those Athenians, oh, well, we've got to listen to this guy. Sounds good. So he's, he's kind of saying the right things. And so they walk over, they listen to him, and, uh, and they like what they hear from what he's saying. Now, Paul did something, and it is so smart. And this is where you see the hand of God that has gone before. Paul says, hey, I see you know, all these different gods that you've got. Okay. But then he noticed something when he was walking around. They'd also built an idol. They'd built this edifice, this, this monument, this statue. They'd done this, and then they'd ascribed it to the unknown God. The unknown God. God, at some point in their lives, at some point in their instruction, God had used some means and worked circumstances in some way. He'd used various means to create a hunger for something more. And those Athenians, even though they were steeped in all of these gods, knew, knew in their heart, God had put something in their heart that knew there's something else. We better cover our bases. <laughs> we, better, we better send up an idol just in case because this feels incomplete and there's something in us that says there's, there's probably something more. So here they were. And God had somehow pulled them and drawn them to where now they're just standing on the front porch and Paul shows up and says, well, let me tell you about this unknown God you don't know. He actually brought you to this point for this reason right now. So let me tell you about him. It's this amazing moment. All Paul had to do was meet them on the porch. Listen, God's grace works in advance. It stirs up in people the desire to begin seeking God. But we do so only because he first seeks us. Only because he first seeks us. Now, as amazing as this grace is, it's not irresistible. We're all born with a free will. And as I mentioned earlier, Paul did what he did. Then he says, oh, yeah, you know, this guy, he rose from the dead. And all these, this group that's around him are like, uh, okay, unlike. We're going to go see <laughs> what these people over here say. Okay. But there was a few people that clicked the like button. All right. There's a few people that retweeted him or did whatever. Okay. But, but there's a few people that were like, hey, we want to hear more. Don't think for a second God wasn't at work in their hearts already, pulling them in. And, and as Paul is showing the door, saying, here's the door, they're thinking, hmm, I might grab the knob. I might walk through. I need to hear more. We find out that actually some of them did believe and became followers of Jesus Christ. 
God's grace works in advance. And yet many times, many times, even when faced with this amazing grace, we still choose our own way, don't we? That main verse of Jesus Christ that we're doing in this Journey of Grace series, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the way. He's the way to truth. He is the way to real life. But he is the way, truth, and life. And yet there are so many times when we choose our own way. But even so, listen closely, from birth, God's grace is active in every single person's life. I want you to think about that for a second. God is working. He is positioning himself to draw people to real life in him. Listen, I think that there are people sitting here right now who need to hear this. I need to hear this in my own life. There are people that I desperately love. There are people that you desperately love. And God, from birth until this very second, is actively pursuing them and seeking them and loving them. I've heard some amazing victory stories over the last few weeks of how people have been praying for this loved one, and next thing you know, a loved one has made their way back to God. God is consistently always pursuing us, pursuing us and seeking us and loving us, setting the stage for us to respond. That wayward child, that spouse, that irredeemable situation that is only redeemable through the grace of God, through a miracle. God is actively at work in those situations. Grace is not irresistible, but absolutely make no mistake, there is not a single person. There's not a single person who has ever lived that you have ever laid your eyes on that is outside the scope of God's seeking grace. There's nobody that you've ever loved, prayed for, despised, resented. There's no one that you'll ever hate enough for God to hate them. There's no one outside of the scope of God's seeking grace that has ramifications. That includes you. Grace always goes first, and it elicits a response. So what has God been leading you to today through his grace? God came to this guy on the backside of the desert named Abraham. Said in Genesis 12, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to build a nation through you and all of the people on earth ever. All of the people who ever walked the earth are going to be blessed by me through you. Who went first in that scenario? God did. God went First, all Abraham had to do was respond. God came to Moses a thousand miles from nowhere, called him to rescue two million people out of slavery in Egypt. Who went first? Who began a good work in Moses? God did. All Moses had to do was respond. Jesus came to Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul wasn't searching for God. In fact, Saul's main agenda in life was killing the movement of God. That's what Saul was doing, but Saul was encountered by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Who went first? Who began a good work in Saul who would become the apostle Paul? God did. God went first. Those in, there's so many stories that show people responding in faith to the God who first came to them. Who first came to them. What about the people that you know? What about, what about that life group? 
leader or the Sunday school teacher maybe you had or or that teacher period or that person who's a prayer warrior or the person who, who very first told you about the love of God and how much God desperately loves you. What about those people? Who went first? God did. Those are links in your chain. God went first. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion till the day of Christ Jesus. If God, it's God who makes the first move and his end goal is completion. It's completion. And as we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about again next week, sin separates us from God. That's why we don't come to Christ. Christ comes to us. He comes to us. The question then becomes, how far will God go? How far will God go to get you? How, how many links in the chain will God insert to continue to pull you up that walkway and get you on the porch? How far, to what extent, will God go? 2 Peter 3.9 says, God doesn't want any of us to perish, but all to have eternal life. So how far will his grace go? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came here. He came to us. He went first. He lived the life. Then he died our death. Our death. And now grace reaches out to every single one of us, drawing us home. He went first. The guy that I was sharing about earlier, multiple times grace had just pulled him onto the porch. And sometimes because of who he was, he jumped right back off. <laughs> So Grace just kept pulling him up onto the porch, but those old defenses would kick in. You know, God doesn't really care about me, so I don't care about him, and, and all those different little attitudes. And yet every link in that chain of God's grace kept pulling until one day he found himself on the porch again and finally put his hand on the knob and then opened the door. Now, I used to know that guy, but I don't know him anymore. You don't know him either. And I use myself as an example because it's my example. What's your example? What's your example of how God's prevenient grace has worked and continues to work in your life today? What is your example? Can we just celebrate this morning? Um, is that okay? Sorry if we have a good time. Is that okay? It feels like I was totally pandering. Thank you for applauding. <laughs> there is somebody with us, somebody who loves us, somebody who wants us and was willing not even to spare his own son to get us home, to get us home. That excites me. That is amazing grace. God knows you, he knows me, and he loves us even so. Mm. I... Uh, I shared with you that there are a lot of links that got me back up on that porch and God's sneaky grace was, was working in my life. That's just a few of the things that God was doing in my life to get me, to pursue me, to chase me. One of the links that God has always used in my life to warm my heart, 
and to draw me in and draw me close as music. Um, and wouldn't you know, in God's wisdom, he took my love and, and leaning towards music and he paired it up with a woman named Betty Zook. Betty Zook was a Christian woman uh, who led the vocal music program in my high school. And she was a Christian woman. She was a teacher who very often, subversively, <laughs> would choose deeply moving spirituals for us as a high school choir to perform. And um, those songs would awaken in me uh, this hunger. I would hear the passion. I would hear the words. And God, even then, would use those to put another link in the chain and pull me a little bit closer, a little bit closer. O opened up in my heart a profound appreciation for moving artists like Paul Robeson, who would sing, Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Why not every man? Why not every man? Or my favorite, Mahalia Jackson. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, far from home, far from home. Don't think for a second God wasn't using a lady, a little lady, named Betty Zuck to drop little seeds of grace into my life, drawing me closer and closer to him. So today, can we just celebrate that we have an ever-present God who goes before us, who chases us. He pursues us. He is relentless. His will is that none should perish, but all, all would have everlasting life. He lets nothing stand in the way of extending to us his amazing grace. We're going to celebrate that through another song, and I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. And as we sing these words, would you let God bring to mind how he's using grace in your life today? Let's sing together.
to deposit and use in other people's lives to draw him, draw them closer to him. I don't know who the kid is out there who uh, needs to find a girlfriend <laughs> who will draw him to church or draw him to Christ. I don't know who that person is in your life, but God does this amazing thing where he intentionally puts people in your life, church, your life. You get to be an instrument of God's grace. We say in this church that we're hashtag for the, re- for the region, Guess who lives in the region? You do. You do. You get the opportunity to do what Jesus did. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We are the body of Christ who get to dwell among the people God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for. That's an amazing thing to me as a church. I'm so glad that God put so many links in the chain that draw me closer to him. You're one of those links. You get to be that person in somebody's life. So this week, go challenge yourself to find that person. Who is it that needs to hear of God's love and experience God's love through you this week as we live our lives out for the region? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for your amazing grace, and this is just one aspect of it. Father, there are so many things for us to bring before you today to show gratitude for. I just pray that this service has been a blessing to you. Many times I even walk through the door thinking, what am I going to receive today? Father, we pray that you have received from us the praise and adoration and glory that you deserve. 
you're a great God. You've loved us with an everlasting love. You've gone before us. And now as we leave this place as your church, Father, we don't leave the church. We are the church. Help us to go live out what it means to be the church in the world we find ourselves in today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Last week you said, go pack, go, and it works. So if you want to do it again on your way out, but make sure you see a few people. Tell them you're glad to see them today. God bless.